so I'm Zach Smith, and Anywhere.com is my business and a professional pursuit I've been at for many years. I'm currently living in Los Angeles. And how old are you? So I'm 37 years old. Mm -hmm. And so what is Anywhere.com? We try to make it easier for people to explore really fun places, generally thought to be more complicated places, Costa Rica, Peru, Ecuador, and what have you. Yeah, our goal is just to make it easier for families and couples to go explore the world. And it's your website's anywhere.com. So, I mean, that sounds like a pretty generic name. So it must have been kind of expensive to buy that domain, huh? Yeah, it was an investment in our brand. We really needed to centralize who we are and what we do. In the past, we were really focusing on one market, and that was Costa Rica. And then as we steadily expanded into other markets, such as anywhere Panama, anywhere Peru, etc., we're just juggling multiple domains. And so bringing all of that content and our brand into one unified website just became a long-term investment in our real vision for what we want to do and accomplish. And so how many people work in your company and what are revenues from last year? We have around 50 people that contribute daily to the business. Some of them are contractors or partners, a number of employees, but actually in the United States, we only have three employees. Our revenue was just north of 10 million last year. So I guess you're 37 years old and it sounds like a pretty cool job that you have here. I guess you're just trying to make people have a better vacation. Is that the idea? Yeah, really. The world we live in right now, we believe that experiences are kind of the social currency of today. So that means going to new exciting destinations and travel in general becomes a big part of that. Our goal is to assure that those experiences go flawlessly, take away a lot of the headaches and disappointments that can happen. So people spend a lot of time anticipating a trip, but really they only have seven or 10 days when they're actually there. And if there's even one thing that goes wrong or a couple of things that go wrong, it can really sour the entire experience. So we're accountable to that. And we do a planning process that really ensures that there's no regrets. And so I guess, did you come up with this idea because you had a vacation go bad? This is a continuum. So many, many years ago, it really began with a trip to Costa Rica. Actually, and that trip even began before that. It was a trip down to Mexico and then just headed south. Through a series of serendipitous encounters, I ended up running a small business in the town of Monteverde, Costa Rica, and really just tried to help people have a better sense of what they could do while they were there. And how long ago was that? That began roughly in 2005. Quite a while ago, I was just fresh out of college, really didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew that I wanted to do something of meaning. To kind of get my head straight, me and a friend, we took the winter off and headed down to where it was warmer. I'm originally from the Northwest, actually uh, Eugene, Oregon, and so it can be pretty miserable in the winter. So we headed to Mexico and didn't really have much of a plan besides follow the sun, body surf, and read books. I was very open to what was next in my life. That trip actually changed my life and the trajectory of my life. You were open to going anywhere? That's right. I certainly was. See what I did there? <laughs> yeah, you did it. <laughs> it only took a couple minutes to get into here to do that. So yeah, you're saying that you believe more people are going to value experiences or maybe even today value experiences more than, I guess, buying things to bring them happiness. Is that the idea? Oh, yeah, sure. And there's a lot of evidence that supports that consumption is growing at three or four percent, but experiences are growing at six, seven percent. So really about two times as fast people are valuing 
memories or things that will help them create memories as opposed to objects that they usually end up discarding at some point. I mean, I've heard that too. So I think I just wanted to make a reference to that and not skip over that because I think that's an important point, right? I, mean, I think maybe back in the day, people would buy things and think that would bring them happiness, but it seems like there's study after study that enjoying these one-time experiences or multi-time experiences like that you actually get more happiness out of doing those versus like buying a brand new car. Yeah. And again, I really believe that experiences are the social currency of our time. People are inherently social in nature. And so having that extra social currency that really has its roots and memories and experiences that are capable or used to share or connect with other people really is kind of the core driver of, I think, this fundamental economic change. And is there a reason for that? I mean, I don't know if you've like read up a lot about this or like understanding why it's growing, you know, like you said, experience is growing at six or 7% versus, you know, maybe consumer products at three or 4%. Do you know why that's actually happening? Yeah, that's a great question. Honestly, I can only hypothesize a bit. My experience, and I think a lot of people of my age are just able to know more about the world or able to be more curious about the world because information has been almost entirely liberated when we compare it to the 50s and 60s or in 70s even. It is a time where we can satisfy that curiosity and that curiosity isn't necessarily something that is a physical object. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it's a really difficult thing. I just know that it's happening and I know that it's gaining traction. I think it actually makes our world a better place when people increase their general perspective of the other and different places around the world. It, it kind of brings humanity closer together. And when that happens, I think we have a more peaceful world. That's kind of my outlook on this stuff. I'm just happy that it's occurring and I'm able to participate in it. Actually, I was going to have the same hypothesis like you were saying. I was going to say it's just I've heard of like Internet and us being able to see like I'm not a big social media guy, but even if you're on Instagram or Facebook or get on, if someone's sharing an experience like maybe our parents didn't get to see that necessarily. Maybe they read about that in the papers or maybe saw something in magazines versus now it's at your fingertips. If you went on Instagram or something and you're following those annoying people posting up everywhere where they're at, well, at least if they're traveling, maybe I could see someone in Costa Rica right now, even during this interview, right? While we're talking, which actually I just did right now. No, I'm just kidding. But that's what I was thinking as well, as far as like us having the opportunity with internet to try to find these things and figure out what things really look like and wanting us to go there. And if we know people going there too, that I think it kind of breeze on itself that, hey, why don't I go ahead and travel there too? Yeah, and that's completely on point. I think even the evolution of travel in general is kind of uh, similar. It's actually a relatively new phenomenon. In the past, you can trace its roots to religious pilgrimages, people going from their home to another faraway place that is interesting to them. So yes, religious pilgrimage is kind of the foundation of travel. But it wasn't until the 60s where we saw leisure travel kind of picking up. And then now it's just exponentially larger. So it's definitely happening. International border crossing is not a scary thing. It's something that people are doing in mass. So now we've touched on religion. We'll get into politics and drugs a little bit later. But as far as like also one thing that I was Googling and I've heard about it is cost of flying has fell dramatically. Even when I just Googled that, the first thing that came up is how airline tickets prices fell 50% in 30 years. Like back in the day, it used to cost way more like in the 70s or 80s to fly even across country or to another country versus now I've traveled to Europe with round trip flights for like five or 600 bucks. 
Yeah, it's really amazing accomplishment that we are able to move so many people around the world. I don't mean me, I just mean place we find ourselves in the modern era is truly extraordinary. And, you know, one of those moments where you think of what kind of world am I living in? I was on a flight across the ocean uh, from the West Coast to Asia, and it was on a Japanese airline. I'm sitting in the bathroom. I'm at 40,000 feet. There's a Japanese toilet. They have all the special features. And just imagining what it was like even 30 years ago. And then you go back to 100 years ago or 150 years ago. Those journeys were truly impossible. And then to simply get up from your seat, go to a nice clean bathroom. You know, it's just like amazing at 40,000 feet to be doing those sort of things. I mean, even if that, I've talked to my grandparents, like even just a little over a hundred years ago when they first came out with the car, right? It's like, if everyone just takes a second, thinks about all these things that we have at our fingertips today, just, yeah, I guess you came to that realization in a Japanese bathroom <laughs> on an airplane. Well, it had been with me before, but you know, I usually think more in the abstract, but that was one specific experience that I could share. It was a, like a little mini light bulb moment. Understood. And so it sounds like you're quite the traveler then as well. Well, to be honest, these days, I really do prefer a routine and just kind of getting into really marking off my to do list and travel sometimes makes that a little bit more difficult. Yeah, of course, I've been to a number of places, but I'm not even close to winning that competition. Again, like when you're running a business, I think, and even if you're in a restaurant industry or, or some other, it's like, oh, you get to eat all the time. And in travel, it's kind of similar. You must be on the road all the time. And honestly, like I wouldn't get anything done if I was on the road all the time. Like I think a lot of us successful business people too, it's just like you want to get into a routine where you get into those things. But given the normal person and how much they might travel or not travel, like again, it seems like more and more people are traveling these days. But I would say in general, like how many places have you been? Because I just want to touch before we even get into the story about maybe some of the coolest places you visited so we can learn from some of your experiences doing that. Oh, sure. I mean, I'll be honest. I'm in the leisure travel business. I really want to help people have these really peak experiences and faraway places and feel really good. And for me, I've done that a few times, but these days it's less and less common. So, you know, some really fun trips that I had or moments on a trip that I had, a lot of them have taken place in Costa Rica. I lived there for a few years and, you know, that's just a simple a day in the life where you wake up, you have fresh fruit, you go hike up to a waterfall, you swim in the waterfall for a couple hours, and then you go back and make a really fresh, delicious meal with your friends at a beach house. And, you know, those are the sort of moments that I really enjoy. But as far as like cultural things, my wife's from Taiwanese descent. We were together out in Taiwan. The adventures in eating out there are just really fascinating. The night markets and being able to just pick and choose whatever you want and then just move on. It's amazing. And honestly, I don't think anybody cooks their own food there. It's just everyone is out on the streets all the time. And it's very different, that pace, than what we have here in the U.S., where it seems as if we're all kind of siloed in our homes, in our routines, and we go to a fast, casual restaurant here and there if we want a quick bite. But it seems as if the whole society is out mingling every day and grabbing food and moving on. And I just found that to be kind of a real refreshing side of life that it's fun to jump into that. And where was that again? Oh, that was in Taiwan, the city of Tepe. Okay, that's what I was going to ask, like specifically. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I guess it seems like most of your travel, though, is more, I guess you even mentioned earlier on, it's more the South America, if we're looking at anywhere.com, if we're trying to book a vacation, like maybe someone could do that during this interview while they're listening. 
<laughs> well, yeah, that would be great. Well, actually, it's really just a natural progression. So the origins are down in Costa Rica, and then the neighboring country was Panama. And so we had built a software and a method for basically profiling a country. And in that case, it was Costa Rica, and the next country was Panama. So that was uh, basically a trial and error process to add more countries into our network. So yeah, Central and South America became a easier next step for us. Now, though, we're certainly branching out to faraway countries as far as more distance. So Vietnam, Indonesia, Myanmar, Tanzania, Nepal, and hopefully a few others that we're attempting to try to use our ability to plan a flawless trip do what we're able to do for our customers that want to work with us again. That was the other thing that we really noticed was if we're going to capture a lifetime value that is of significance, we really need to be able to expand our product offering and be able to help them as they continue to seek new travel. So that's really been the key motivator as far as expansion goes is really it's been demand driven by our clients in attempt to just take on new challenges, which I think as business business people. It's kind of this balance between being comfortable and then digging in and working on a big project. So how many people a year like today book a vacation through anywhere.com? Well, as far as in a year, well, I mean, we're an organic self-funded business, so we're not spending as much in marketing as we would like. But at any rate, there's about five or 6,000 trips per year. And usually those trips, sometimes they're full vacations. Hopefully they're full vacations. We're better at that. But sometimes they're single bookings. And then each trip, there's usually around three people on the trip. A lot of times it's couples and sometimes it's solo travelers, but also it's, you know, a family of four, a family of five or a group of 20. So it really averages out to around three, three and a half people per trip. So it's around 10,000 people a year that are experiencing our service. Usually there's one key planner that is working with our team on behalf of their family or their loved ones. As you're probably aware, it's hard to co-plan a group trip. It usually falls on the shoulders of one person. That's usually who our communication is with. This episode is sponsored by another great podcast. It's called The Meb Faber Show. The Wall Street Journal named it one of the top five investing podcasts that you should not miss. And if you're looking to learn from some of the brightest minds in finance or simply want to know more about investing in a casual and fun format, then it's a must listen. The show is hosted by Meb Faber, CEO of Cambria Investments and an award-winning ETF manager. The goal of the show is to help you grow and preserve your wealth by giving you new investing insights and ideas. So check out the Meb Faber show wherever you enjoy your podcast. That's Meb, M-E-B, Faber, F-A-B-E-R. You don't want to miss it. Payroll and benefits are hard, especially for small businesses. You don't have the time to be an expert in things like taxes and regulations. And old school payroll providers just aren't built for the way you work today. Gusto is here to change all that. They're making payroll, benefits, and HR easy for small businesses. In fact, nine out of 10 customers say Gusto is easier to use than other payroll solutions. Gusto also saves you time. 72% of customers spend less than five minutes to run payroll. Don't believe all the good things you're hearing about Gusto? Well, just Google them. People love Gusto. 
And how often do you actually hear someone say they love their payroll provider? So to help support the show, go to gusto.com forward slash millionaire. They're offering our listeners an exclusive limited time deal. You'll get three months free once you do your first payroll. And again, the link is gusto.com forward slash millionaire. Yeah, basically impossible. I've tried multiple times, you know, everyone says they want to do something, but I find out just like in business, like whenever I plan my trips that I end up going, I usually try to get one a year just to helps me reset my mind and take a little break off work and then come back refresh. But anytime I've tried with anyone, everyone always just like, uh, no, sorry, I can't, but I'm interested. Like, uh, no, I won't keep you in mind next time either. So yeah, there's usually always one person that kind of takes control of it. 10,000 trips a year. I mean, that sounds like a good amount. So is there anything else we should know about the business before we kind of reel it back to you went to Mexico and kind of how you got started? We got a good idea of it now. would like to knock out anything else that you know you think is important now before we take your story back to the beginning. Well, I think we'll probably get there as we kind of dig into the origin stories. You know, we can bounce around back to the purpose that really motivates us on a daily basis. So yeah, happy to kind of walk through that as well as go into the origin story. Because I guess you were saying also, if I'm looking at it, you right down 2005, you kind of went to Mexico. It looks like, did you start the company in 2006? Yes, I did. Okay. So yeah, why don't we pick it up there you, and tell us you're just out of college still. So I guess 23, 24, and then we'll pick up kind of how you started early on with uh, Anywhere.com. Absolutely. So just after college, I headed down to Mexico with a friend and we had a harebrained idea that we were going to write a great screenplay or do something that was very creative and everyone would love it. But really what ended up happening is we were eating tacos every day, body surfing in the water. I was sitting in a hammock reading books. It was just sort of a very mellow time. We never really got around to hammering that sort of project out. And then what really changed the trajectory was two serendipitous encounters. I believe they're serendipitous and I think serendipity plays a role in many people's lives, but I can really focus on these two as being monumental for me. And the first was in a pool in Nicaragua, actually Granada, Nicaragua. And I had overheard a conversation and then got into a conversation with someone who had a hostel down in Costa Rica. He's a nice guy and he had just purchased this hostel and I was like, cool, you know, I'm interested in staying around. And I was kind of willing to do anything to just stay in that part of the region for a little while longer because it was January. I had money probably until mid-March, but the idea of staying until June seemed a lot better to me than heading back in early March because long story short, he said, well, listen, there's a guy that sometimes hires people and if you come up to Monteverde, you know, I'm sure you can meet him. And so, you know, I kind of stuck that in my back pocket, continued to travel around Costa Rica and the Guanacaste area. So really beautiful beaches, uh, just kept on heading south. And then I headed to the mountains of this town called Monteverde. At that point, I had learned who this guy was and I just simply went near him. He was uh, reading the newspaper and all of a sudden we struck up a conversation. Before I knew it, he offered me a job. I didn't even really have to ask. That was just a great opportunity to get involved in uh, tourism for the first time. We can extend this story a little bit because even that next phase, it was just crazy. I headed down to Panama and was on my way back to Costa Rica to uh, start this new gig, basically. I'm at the border and I call this gentleman. I say, hey, listen, I'll be up there tomorrow. I'm at the border. I'm going to spend a night in San Jose and then I'll be up there. So see you soon. He responds pretty frantically on the phone and he's like, oh my gosh, you wouldn't believe it. There's a bank robbery going on here. And I'm like, what? And he's like, have you ever 
ever seen the movie Dog Day Afternoon? Now I know what Dog Day Afternoon was in the movie. It's awesome. But I couldn't picture it. But he basically was saying that there was a hostage situation at the bank and things were crazy. And he was in an internet cafe telling me of what was going on. And I was like, holy cow, this is nuts. And so I just hung up the phone with him and headed to San Jose. You know, along the way, there's news reports of this big situation happening up there, this real tragic situation, to be honest. I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to go to this place? Like, this is where I'm going to go have a job? <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah, so I spent the night in San Jose. I ended up getting robbed that night. I literally had no money. The next day, I showed up in Monteverde, Costa Rica, and didn't really know what to expect. It was such a surreal experience because, unfortunately, a couple people had died in the standoff and the hostage situation. Just a really weird feeling to be in a town, to be broke, that a funeral's going on. And again, I'm just questioning everything. What am I doing here? So I was on the beaches hanging out, and then I headed to the mountains. And this town called Monteverde, it's sort of home to a cloud forest, and that's where I met this person. At any rate, one more thing that just became really strange is I see the office for the first time. And this office is a 10 by 10 room stacked with dusty old newspapers. There's like two cats living in there. There were two computers, just old funky Dell computers. And I'm just like, what am I doing here? But actually, he taught me a lot. You know, there was basically a tourism economy there of helping people get their questions answered, understanding where they could stay or what they could do when they were there. And so I just started answering a bunch of emails and helping people get uh, accommodation. So really, after two months, I knew that this was a great opportunity. The business was actually nowhere near its potential. And so I kind of had had it already made up my mind in my head that I was going to try to buy these websites from him. And he kind of thought that that might be a good idea. So that next serendipitous encounter was I had just kind of come to this point where I knew I was going to do this and I was really motivated to make this business happen and actually help people understand all the different options they had as they were planning their trip. I'm in an aerial tram in the rainforest just getting to know this other part of Costa Rica where the Arenal volcano is. It's really beautiful, lots of hot springs and rainforests. And here I am on an aerial tram all by myself and I'm excited about this. Right across from me was a guy, he was probably about my age, and then his wife. We struck up a conversation. He kind of was curious what I was up to and, and all that. And I could tell that he was just on a vacation. He wasn't a guy that was living in the country. He wasn't one of these people that really knew the inside info. He was just having a good time. He'd be gone in a few days. But I was like, well, I'll just tell my story. And so I told him, hey, I've been living down here and I'm thinking about buying these two websites. And he was literally the first person I uttered that to. I didn't mention it to anybody. It was just my secret. And I thought, what are the chances? I'm just practicing. He said, wow, that's interesting. I'm a software engineer and I've always wanted to do something international. One thing led to another and we stayed in touch and he is my business partner today, basically co-founder and CTO of our business. Those two serendipitous encounters, first of all, getting the job down there and then meeting my future business partner on an aerial tram really changed my life. And how much were you getting paid when you took up that first job when you said you went in and were helping this guy with the website? Not much. Are you talking like 20 bucks a day or something? Probably around a thousand a month, which wasn't mad. I could drink beer at night. I could find a place to stay. I was just enjoying myself, really. There's a really cool community of people that were living down there. So we'd play basketball on Saturdays and we would go out and have fun together. So it was a really neat time, a very carefree time. 
Well, I mean, yeah, I had a lot of questions during your story there. I guess you said you went down to Mexico with a friend. Where'd you go down to Mexico? Because I'm kind of losing that jump. I'm like, did your friend just die too? Like, what happened to him? <laughs> so, yeah, we flew into Oaxaca, Mexico. And where's that near? Oaxaca is southern Mexico. So the very south and west part of Mexico, you have the province of Oaxaca and Chiapas. And so the city of Oaxaca was where we flew into December 2004. All right. So you flew into there. That's why I was wondering. I'm like, dude, did you drive down there or what happened? Because you're going to all these different countries and it's you're just out of college. You know, probably cheap to live, but still we already talked about how much cheaper it is to travel now, even 10, 20 years later. I'm just wondering how you're jumping around these countries and then you randomly land this job in the jungle, it sounds like. Well, yeah. I mean, I would say that as far as the money goes, I had painted probably about 12 houses that summer. And so... In Mexico? Sorry. So graduated from college and then there's the summer months. So in Eugene, Oregon, a lot of people paint their houses in the summer because it's about the only time where the weather's predictably dry. Gotcha. So yeah, you saved up money from that? Yeah, saved up money, hustling, paint jobs. And then, yeah, I was able to go travel on my own and the budget every day was... 30 bucks, 40 bucks, which was plenty. And then your friend, did he eventually go home and you're like, I'm going to stay down here, travel to these other countries down here? Yeah. So we were together in Mexico. We were together down into Guatemala, Nicaragua, a little bit in Costa Rica. And actually towards the about third week in Costa Rica, I think he really started getting burnt out. I was feeling really connected, enjoying my time there. And I think he just wasn't feeling it after a while. So yeah, he just went back home and I stayed. And that's when I went up to Monteverde and ended up getting the job. How big was the city that you said? I'm just imagining you in the jungle with 56K internet. That's exactly what it was. It was a dial-up internet connection. The town itself was a town of about maybe three or 4,000 permanent residents, and then give or take 1,000 visitors a day, maybe 2,000 visitors during the peak season. Pretty small place, and it's famous because the road to get there is notoriously terrible. Basically a dirt road for about 35K. So it was a real challenge and really a very remote area, but truly stunning. And if anyone has a chance to visit the cloud forests, you really won't regret it. Some of the best oxygen in the air because it's just freshly made from all those trees. And then the biodiversity is fantastic. Yeah, just overall a real pristine part of the world. The number one trip you sell is how you started anywhere.com so they can book it on your website there. Yeah, well, I mean, if people want to do that, they really just tell us their preferences. So if it's nature, if it's adventure, if it's relaxation, we really begin with those themes. And then we start suggesting very specific locations and activities and accommodations that they really match that. So we try to keep it simple on the customer side because people don't always know exactly what they want. If they do, that makes our job easier. But for the most part, we really try to refine their preferences into specific services and experiences. Well, I mean, I I was just thinking that you could have like, this could be your number one specialty tour that we can go into the jungle with you, look at where you used to work, like it's a museum, right? And see how you actually got started. Maybe try to find a co-founder down there. I mean, like you even expressed that you're in Costa Rica, you find this job, you're helping them with, I guess, get tours down there. And then you randomly tell the first guy you tell ends up being your co-founder. So it seems like pretty wild to find a co-founder that way. Yeah, really. I mean, I just have to kind of chalk it up to really almost a fateful experience. And I think people have those every time, every now and again. And for me, I definitely had, actually, there's three in my life. It was that encounter to eventually get the job, 
meeting the co-founder and then meeting my wife. All three are pretty crazy. And I think it's not as common to find those three significant ones. And real quick, I met my wife on an airplane. So we were flying to New York and I didn't have a seat assigned. Apparently she didn't have a seat assigned and they put us right in the same row with nobody in the middle seat. And it was a jet blue flight, Seattle to New York. You know, we just struck up a conversation. Basically the rest is history. Wow. So just another reason for everyone to travel, maybe find your future significant other or co-founder. I think it's really just about being open to the world. I think things will fall into place as long as your eyes are open and you're feeling comfortable. And I think it's just tell your story, put yourself out there, listen, observe and do things. And I think you'll attract, you know, maybe not your, your significant other, but you're going to have opportunities that you wouldn't otherwise have. Just got to go out there and do it. So why don't we jump now, I guess, to the like maybe the first year of you actually starting the business. I know you told this random guy like how you're planning on buying these websites. Why don't you just tell us kind of how you started this off? Did you Were you in Costa Rica the whole time? Just give us a little bit more in depth of how we actually got started with your business here. Yeah, sure. So I had made the decision that I wanted to buy the business, but I really didn't know what the business was doing. I cobbled together a bunch of Excel sheets that he had been keeping. I started to understand more or less what it might be worth. Basically left it at a handshake agreement in about June of 2000. So yeah, it was a handshake agreement in 2005 that I'd come back down there and buy the websites from him and relieve him. He was getting a little older and ready to move on. So I went back home to Eugene, was just having some phone conversations with my future partner, uh, Tony, just really excited about it, kind of telling my parents about it. Not exactly sure how I was going to get it done, but yeah, just excited. You know, I knew I needed to save money and I knew I needed to maybe even ask for some money from other people. And so I just needed some time to work out all those things. And so I spent actually a good part of the summer hustling, painting houses, getting my personal savings up a bit, building a business plan at night and sitting in coffee shops, researching the travel industry, doing analysis on what the current business and market looked like. So then by about September of 2005, I kind of had a pretty good idea of what I was going to do and uh, was able to secure a couple promissory notes from friends and family and had enough money in the bank to head back down to Costa Rica. So I went down there December of 2005. So roughly one year later from that fateful trip down to Mexico, I was heading back down with a business plan to get started in Costa Rica. And a bag full of money? Yeah, thankfully not too much, but yeah, enough to feel comfortable and, you know, agree to the terms that I had with the the owner. But yeah, I was going to say like how much did it cost you to buy these websites? It was kind of an earnout situation, so I was able to give them a lump sum around $80,000 and then was able then to earn out over time. Yeah, really, I mean, the big challenge was upon arrival to Costa Rica in 2005, I show up back in Monteverde and, you know, word had gotten around that I was there to take over the business and everybody left. The inboxes are full. I did not have ownership of these websites yet. Yeah, you just paid 80000 and then everyone left. Basically, what happened? No, actually, back up. We never actually did the deal. So I showed up there. Things are crashing. What was I going to buy if it wasn't going to be sustainable? So I had to jump right into the business, answer all these emails, do everything I can to keep things moving forward, and train new people. Fast forward a couple months, and I'm doing that for his business. I didn't have a deal yet. Was he there? 
Yeah, he was there just stringing me along. Okay. And so by about mid-February, I just had enough. I said, well, you know, I'm not going to do this. I've done a lot. I've put your business in a much better place than it was because I was planning to buy it. Right. Now, you know, you're jerking me around and so I'm out of here. So I left. I went down to the beach, was just kind of uh, researching some other locations, just getting my head wrapped around what had just happened and thinking about how I was going to execute my vision differently. About a week went by, actually probably less, maybe about three or four days. I got a call from him and he said, I'm sending a car. Come back up here. Let's do the deal. Because once he was back into the operations and understanding all the things that he had to deal with, he knew he wanted to unload. And about two weeks later, we had a contract in place and I was able to just work on the business. Again, these were two little websites. And what were the websites? What are the two websites? They were very niche. So is rnl.net. So the RNL is a location where there's a volcano and lots of people like to go there. And then Monteverde, where the cloud forest was. So that was monteverdeinfo.com. Yeah, rnl.net and monteverdeinfo.com. So yeah, it was really about fixing those up, hiring locals and letting them really be the face of the business, provide the customer service and knowledge. My goal was just to set them up and help them feel confident communicating with mostly Americans and Canadians that were looking to visit their country. So I like to always think about the locals as being hosts to visitors, that they're to serve, they're to teach and help people understand their home. So at any rate, that was kind of what I was doing. I was just hiring and training people, processes in place. My partner was working on improving the website and building a database. So the next step for us was to do what we were doing at a very small scale for those two little towns for the whole country. Well, can I stop you there if that's all right? Yeah, sure. So when you're saying you brought down like 80,000, so I guess originally I'm just thinking, oh, it's all for the website. I'm like, dude, is it really worth paying someone like 80,000 bucks for two websites? Especially I thought it maybe might be like visitcostarica.com or something like that, you know, but with these two websites, you weren't necessarily just buying the websites. You're more buying, I guess, the infrastructure that he had. And as far as like the locals and trips that he had set up, was that more of what you were buying than like actual websites? To be honest, no. Okay. Just buying the websites. Jeez. Well, it seems kind of high. They had a decent amount of traffic. You know, there was a combined three or 4,000 visitors a day on the websites. So we were able to basically take that traffic and be get better at monetizing that man being better at offering to book reservations for people at uh, different hotels or tours or transportation. And so it really was a way to get into the marketplace. Then our next step, once we put some processes in place and got those websites moving forward, we decided to do AnywhereCostaRica.com. And that was really our first brand to be the source of information and connect people with all the different services that they could do while visiting the country. What that meant was creating a lot of content and a lot of relationships. That meant me hustling around, taking photos at hotels, writing up profiles, hiring actually writers to help me write those profiles and at a later date, just really represent the country as best I can. And then continue to hire people that were capable of communicating to our clients and helping them have a great time and being accountable for that. So meanwhile, my partner was putting in a lot of the technology 
technology infrastructure that we would use repeatedly as we expanded into new countries, as well as just manage all the information and operations that we were doing. So how did you come up with like 80,000 for these two sites? Because again, I mean, even with, well, I'm surprised that it was getting three or 4,000 websites a day, because there's no way I'd be able, just looking at it, I would never have thought you would have that much traffic. I mean, was he generating any other revenue other than the actual site traffic? Because I want to make sure that we understand your thoughts on like, if it was worth paying that much, or if like, if you had to do it again, or what were your factors when you're actually purchasing this? Because again, it sounded like you spent a lot of time thinking about it. Obviously, if you went to America and then came back down to purchase it for 80,000. Sure. Yeah. I mean, he was generating some commission revenue. So that meant when he would send somebody to this hotel, he would expect a commission payment. That's really how a lot of travel agencies operate. The way that he worked was extremely inefficient. So this is the process. A client is like, hey, listen, I'd like to stay at this hotel or I'm looking for three nights, Monteverde, can you help me out? And so we would suggest some accommodation, email basically an authorization form, and that authorization form was printed, signed, and faxed back to us because the internet connection was so slow that attachments were not a great way to receive this authorization form. That fax would come in to our office in Costa Rica. Then we would take that document and send it to the hotel also via fax. Then that hotel would fax back to us a stamp of approval that this reservation is confirmed. Then we would email that customer and say, your reservation is confirmed. And then we would expect to earn a small commission from the hotel. But that was a very inefficient way to run the business. And again, this is just something that he organically had arrived upon, but it still was generating money. I think he was at the time earning around $60,000 a year. You know, I felt like it could be significantly bigger than that. And he knew that too. And that's why there was a little bit of a premium involved. And so that's how you still run it today? <laughs> Very funny. Honestly, for a little while, we just had to kind of inherit that process. But yeah, thankfully, we continue to invest in technology. And like I said, I have a fantastic co-founder, and he was always looking for better ways and processes to automate what we do. It's a continual work in progress. It's all about efficiency and doing more with less time invested and making it easier for the client. Yeah. And I mean, if he was generating 60000 like income for him, is that how much he was generating off this website before you bought it? I'd say, I think it maybe was a little bit more, but that was his sort of take home. Right. Yeah, that's about what he was at. Well, then you got a hell of a deal, right? If you're paying 80000 and in almost one year, it's going to be paid back. Well, yeah, but there was also an earn out. So I had to continue to pay him for a little while. Okay. So yeah, all said and done, it was more than that. But thankfully, we moved on fast from that relationship. And we're just working on what our vision of the trip planning experience was. Yeah, expanding to, like I said, we'll talk about the next site anywhere, Costa Rico.com. But I was just, again, it's just still kind of wild that, you know, you go back to the US, you come back down to Costa Rica with the money to do it. Other question too, before I kind of we move on, when you're saying you brought like 80,000 down, was it your friend as well? Or I guess your co-founder? I don't know if y'all would consider each other friends yet since you had just met once and you decided he'd be your co-founder then. But I'm joking about that too, I imagine. But <laughs> did he put in money too? And like, how did you decide like who was going to get what as far as percentage of the business? Yeah, sure. So I mean, this was all very new to me. 
you can think about, hey, there's this opportunity. I'm excited about the opportunity. I really have the clarity around this opportunity. And my co-founder or would-be co-founder had a skill set. You know, he had run a small software business and was interested in making improvements to my vision. And so yeah, in order to get this opportunity, yeah, he had to have skin in the game. So, you know, we had say 80,000 is what our number was. And so he was able to put in 20,000 and therefore he was a 25% owner at that point. That was really the beginning of our relationship to go and execute this vision. And so when you were back down in Costa Rica, did he come down with you too or did he work on it from the U.S.? So he worked on it from the U.S. He made one trip down right when we basically transferred over the websites to our DNS, as well as putting in a very small little server in our office so we could work more simultaneously because, you know, you wouldn't believe it, but each website essentially had a single computer associated with it. So it had one inbox that it was able to work out of. You can imagine there's no way to scale anything like that if there's really only one person that can work on incoming leads on one single computer. So that was a big change. And so, yeah, that was one of the big first steps that we did. And so Anthony, yeah, came down for about a week to do that and then was back in South Carolina for the better part of about a year and a half. We visited when we launched AnywhereCostaRica.com, which was in May 2007. Yeah, actually about four months later, he was making the decision to move permanently down to Costa Rica. And so that's what he did. And so with this, I guess, for you making money, were you just making money through affiliates this whole time, even with your new AnywhereCostaRica.com? As far as, I don't know if there's any other way to make money, because again, just kind of understanding what you do today versus what you were doing then. Yeah. So when we launched AnywhereCostaRica.com, it was a big change as far as the services that we could offer. So we wanted to move more towards entire vacations as opposed to single bookings, which is kind of where we were stuck in those two niche websites for R&L and Monteverde. And what we did at the same time is we were able to secure a merchant account. So that allowed us to be charging that client and then withholding our fee and distributing that money to the suppliers and the suppliers being individual hotels, transport companies, tour operators. We just continued to add more services and build up the variation that we could plan for people. And really from the get-go, we were never selling packages. We were always assembling packages or learning about the customer and then customizing their experience. So oftentimes we would really just focus on the interests that people had, the budget that they had. And then we're just based on the local knowledge we have, matching them to the trip that makes sense for them and not marking up because we were essentially operating as a wholesaler. So we had a net rate on the back end that we were able to pay our suppliers that allowed us to sustain our business. We all have that friend who's the first one to try things. Whether they're super trendy or more of a guinea pig, when you're making a choice, it's always nice to hear it from someone who's been there and done that. Choosing the right software for your business is no different. Read thousands of real software reviews to help you choose the right software for your business on captera.com slash millionaire. Captera is the leading free online resource to help you find the best software solution for your business. With over 850,000 reviews of products from real software users. Discover everything you need to make an informed decision. Search more than 700 categories of software. Everything from project management to CRMs to email marketing 
to Yoga Studio Management software, well, just basically any category you can think of, they have covered. I used Captera to check the top audio editing software and web conferencing software to make sure we're using the best products for editing and recording this podcast. So no matter what kind of software your business needs, Captera makes it easy to discover the right solution fast. Join the millions of people who use Captera each month to find the right tools for their business. Visit captera.com slash millionaire for free today to find the tools to make an informed software decision for your business. Captera.com slash millionaire. Captera, that's C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A dot com slash millionaire. Captera, software selection simplified. And so I guess why don't we even just talk about, since this is a new website with the anywherecostarica.com, it's basically where to start getting leads where you like doing a lot of SEO. Like, cause again, you, you told us about your staff today. I imagine, well, it sounds like they're all like basically virtual assistants, but I don't even know if back then, like how you were trying to get traffic and grow this thing. Cause even when you purchased the company at first, it sounds like you were still making money at least day one because they already had an established revenue. Yeah. So again, one of the foundational elements of our brand and who we are is to be a source of information. And so what that meant was profiling all the different destinations, hotels, tours and activities, categorizing those things. So you can think of rainforest destinations. You can think of cloud forest destinations, beach destinations, and then those individual locations. So SEO was definitely a big part of our growth because we just wanted to tell the story of the country and that meant writing content, photographing these locations. Certainly SEO was a big part of our lead acquisition and later it became more into paid per click, you know, social media, but yeah, absolutely SEO in the past and still today is. I don't think we have time to go like year by year, but what are some other points, reflection points that you think we could learn from as far as growing your business and launching this new site? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, one thing that entrepreneurs kind of run into is, you know, they build, 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 and then they kind of get a little complacent and, you know, things just sort of get on autopilot. And so honestly, that happened to me in about 2010, 2011, we were doing really great. We had a really successful business, a nice size team of about uh, 25 in Costa Rica that were doing operations, answering customers, building itineraries, and really just doing a great job. And so there really wasn't a ton for me to do because we felt like we really had accomplished what we set out to accomplish. And yeah, we could continue to grow in that particular market, but there's only so many people that are going to go to Costa Rica and then there's only so many problems you can solve. And we felt like we had kind of done a pretty good job of that. And so got a little bored. And so then me and my partner are just trying to figure out, well, okay, we can do this in more places. People obviously travel to more places. So how are we going to do it? Early on in our business, we had a grand vision that we were going to be anywhere, right? So we bought a domain called anywhereplanet.com. And then, you know, in that we had all these different websites that we were going to launch. And so we went back to that plan and we was like, you know, we thought, okay, well, how about Panama? It's right next door. They had just been declared the number one place to visit by the New York Times in I think 2010. And so it was a natural next step and very much a learning experience. 
yeah, I think we just wanted to take on more challenges. And so we got that going. And that was a whole adventure because it was the first time that I built something kind of from the ground up, borrowing the model that we had already achieved in Costa Rica and then trying to apply it to a new country, but not necessarily under the same conditions. So I knew I didn't want to have employees in Panama. I knew I didn't want to do more than was necessary, but to capture the story of the country and then help people go there. And so the first step was to build the content foundation. So what that actually meant was me and a guy, and this actually, this is another serendipitous encounter, great, great friend, great partner, actually, in everything that we've done in our growth model. His name's Carl. And he showed up at my office and was a really eager photographer, videographer. So we just hit the road and headed to Panama for about six weeks, put about 10,000 miles on a rental car, shot all the photography. I met lots of different hotel owners. So here we were with this content foundation and we had a CMS, so our own uh, content management system to put all this material into we could launch anywhere Panama. So, you know, that was then trying to adapt our current system to a new country. And that had many different challenges along the way, but we managed to get it out about a year and a half later. So yeah, that was a big step. And then when I started that, process to open up another country, I also learned, gosh, you know, I want to do this better. And so I got into a conversation with a guy at a trade show. Peru had always been on my mind as a cool place. And so what I did was I went up to this guy at the tourism booth in Peru and I said, listen, you know, I'm looking to, to find a partner for Peru. We've built this technology. We've built this process. We have this customer base. We're building a brand. I need somebody in that country that is going to be a great operator. And who's entrepreneurial that you know in your network? You know, he thought for a moment and he says, I know just the guy. That was then a big step for us to kind of grow through partnerships. Today, that's really our current model is a revenue sharing arrangement. Gotcha. This was your first time doing it in Panama. And I guess it sounds like the only hiccup you've had so far really was you getting bored growing your business, right? Well, listen, so I was still kind of young and ignorant at this time. So yes, I was bored. I was still thinking that we could take on the world and everything was going to go our way forever. And yeah, okay, let's buy anywhere.com. Let's really blow this up. But the reality, it's been a challenging couple of years ever since we did that. You know, we lost a great amount of our organic traffic when we did a redirect. Well, tell us about that. Google says you're not supposed to be penalized when you redirect aside from maybe 15% temporarily, then it's going to come back. And the reality is, is a lot of that traffic hasn't come back. So we've really had to get really good about our sales process, get really good about uh, recurring customers. So that was a challenge that we took on to get our grander vision in place. But there's been some short term pain in that. We're still just hustling to make this work. And so you're saying like, for instance, like you redirected your website, anywherepanama.com to anywhere.com now, and then that you lost a lot of traffic from that? Yeah, that's correct. When we actually did the full redirect, it was October 2016. And we had spent some time researching and essentially doing 301 redirects on roughly around eight or 9,000 pages. Because at that time, we had anywherecostarica.com, anywherepanama.com, anywhereperu.com, about seven total countries all with very big websites. And so, yeah, that redirect it looks really nice. It's got a new UX. 
it's one website rather than multiple websites. So it served many purposes and we wouldn't do it any different except for, you know, maybe slow it down, do it more steadily. But again, it's hard to say. It's been a source of frustration actually for quite some time. But, you know, we're just working on what we can control at this point. And so a big part of what we do now is very much paid acquisition, referrals, repeat business. So that's what we're most excited about is creating a customer experience that people will remember and they want to come back to us to get to next. Yeah, I mean, obviously that hurts, especially it sounds like you tried to take all the action steps to make sure this wouldn't happen and then it still happened. So I guess I could definitely understand your frustration, especially if like you think it's only temporary and they say that it's going to be only temporarily, but then it never comes back. So that's obviously a frustration. But how did you actually end up? I mean, I even talked about it in the very beginning, anywhere.com. I mean, who did you buy that from? And tell us about that process. Sure. Yeah, it was a broker. So, I mean, it was a dictionary domain. They get bought up. You bought dictionary.com? too? <laughs> no. Okay. Let me start over. So I'm trying to be funny. <laughs> yeah, it was through a broker. I wish it was on GoDaddy for 10 bucks, but unfortunately it wasn't. They wanted actually a quarter of a million dollars for it. We negotiated that down a bit, but it was still a six-figure purchase. Really the only way that we felt like we could have a bigger story. You know, me and my partner were both ambitious. We want to do things of meaning and of significance. Creating a brand like that was really appealing, and it is still appealing every day. To be honest, I felt a little less fulfilled when I was just the Costa Rica guy or the guy that was in the trenches down in Peru or in Panama. I wanted to do something that was just bigger. And yeah, I think it just that became a medium for me and my partner to really execute that vision. And we're still doing that today. It's a work in progress. And I think as an entrepreneur, if today isn't your hardest day, you're probably not pushing yourself. So I really feel strongly that even if you're comfortable at one point, that you're really just not aware of what's lurking in the shadows. There's always going to be something that you're choosing to ignore. And so when you really focus on all the different things that are in your competitive landscape or the potential that you know you have in the business, but you've been putting off, really every single day should be your hardest day. So, I mean, what other hurdles did we have other than, like I said, obviously the redirection was an issue. It sounded like you got revitalized once you were able to get this new domain. Because, I mean, I could even see that being like, okay, now, like you said, you're not just a Costa Rica guy. You kind of have more meaning and you have a grander vision. So you're like pushing yourself again versus maybe coasting like you were in like 2010 per se. So, I mean, what other tips or tactics do you have that maybe we can learn from over the last couple of years of growing the business? Yeah, sure. I mean, for a lot of businesses, as they continue to expand or take on new projects, alignment is probably one of the most critical things to get right. And I know that because we've gotten it wrong a lot. <laughs> so it really... Can you give us an example of that? Well, yeah. So a lot of our people are working on projects that are future facing and particularly on our development side. And our business really just depends on executing a customer experience. When developers are focused on things that will make their job simpler, we're not exactly focusing on what's going to make our customers' lives better and what's going to make our revenues grow. And so it's been a period of time really to put every focus and attention on 
hey, asking yourself these questions, is this going to make the customer experience better? Is this going to make the salesperson's job easier, therefore making the customer's experience better? Or is this just a faster way for me to shuffle things around in the back end? And so, you know, those sort of priorities and cultural alignment really is just an ongoing thing that we really try to pound the pavement on. Well, how do you stay aligned with all these people? Like, I don't know if you're having weekly meetings, monthly meetings. And again, are they all like virtual people, assistants that can just jump on a computer or some of them don't have that connection? Right. Everybody has a computer and no one's an assistant. They are all participants, active participants. So a virtual participants, that's what I'll call my yeah. people who work for me for now. I'm VPs. So our team in Peru, for example, it's a team of eight and there's really two people that are in charge of that organization. In Guatemala, there's about three people that are in charge of the organization down there and there's about eight people on that team as well. So what we do, and, and then in Indonesia, there's another group of four or five and one person that's really in charge. And so again, what we do is we have what we call kind of a managerial sort of meeting every week. So that's really the leaders of each of the countries getting together on a Zoom call to talk about what happened the previous week, what challenges are going on, whether it's in the system or on the customer or operations side. And so, yeah, that's the Zoom meeting where we're all looking at each other's faces and talking about stuff. And then once a month, I do a sales performance meeting with everybody that is for each of the markets. So, you know, we talk about the leads that came in, what channels they came in on, what the conversion rate is, how much we paid, what our return on ad spend is, and, you know, all those things that really kind kind of signal health or sickness in the business. And when you have those meetings regularly, it puts a lot of clarity on everybody's day-to-day -day job. Yeah, that's really kind of what I strive to do is be involved and nurture the health of the business. And is your co-founder still your co-founder? Absolutely. Yeah, he's great. And he just spent actually about six months in Asia. He was there spinning up a small development team in the Philippines with a couple other members of our team. That's going well and we can add more talent into that team whenever we want. So that's a really great piece of infrastructure to have. I think of it as infrastructure, but it really kind of is. That's an area of the business you need to keep investing in. And as you take on more challenges, it's nice to be able to add more potential. So yeah, that's going great and has saved us a lot of money. We had a few developers in the US over the last couple of years, and it's just really competitive and hard to compete with the salaries that some other companies that can offer. I mean, for example, our office was in Seattle for a number of years and my co-founder is still up there. But as you know, there's some very large companies up there, Amazon, Microsoft, Starbucks, Google, and Facebook are just really choosing to just buy up all the talent they can. It, it just gets harder and harder. And you're kind of stuck with junior developers for premium pricing. And it just wasn't a great fit for us. That's why we, we spun up a team in the Philippines. Well, like, how do you find all these people that you're hiring? For the Philippines, actually, I was listening to a podcast because I was actually looking at different locations. And so there was BPOs, business process outsourcing companies, and I wanted to just try to learn about the industry. And so Manila is a very common place. Cebu is another common place. And I started researching it and I found a podcast, a couple of guys that were just starting actually a small operation in Cebu. And so I learned about that and they were one of a few different potential 
companies that I was going to work with to try to find employees there. And so one thing led to another. And actually, I mean, Anthony, my business partner, Tony, he was really involved in the hiring process and ensuring that the skills were in place. I opened up the relationship and it's been going pretty great. Yeah. As far as like finding developers too, like I definitely understand, like you were saying how expensive they are in the US. In episode 77 that we have is Brian Sloan. He actually invented the sex toy in case you're curious, but it's more that he was talking about finding developers in like, I think Russia and Ukraine and stuff. Like he was giving us exact places in the world that people are pretty niche specific. I think maybe even in Belarus as well. Try to find the value out of like, maybe you can hire a good developer there for like 10 or 15,000 bucks a year versus in the US where, you know, 100 to 200,000. But like you were saying, even with the Philippines, those people you heard, I guess on a podcast, but I mean, how about people in other parts of the world that you've hired? I mean, are you going to a website like Upwork.com? Are you going to other websites? Like, how are you finding these other virtual, I know you don't call them assistants. What do you call them? Perhaps we need to define the model a little bit. So the partners that we have in these other countries, you can think of them almost as franchisees. So they have a sustainable tourism business. I've met a couple of them at trade shows. I've met a couple of them via introductions from personal relationships. So they had their own tour operator business. They know the industry, they know their country. And what I can offer is a platform, a marketing tool and a brand. And that's something they don't have. So when we're able to bring more clients into their already existing business, they simply are wearing our hat for that country. So I've met them in different ways, but then it's their responsibility to hire the local experts. It's their responsibility to operate the business. So that alleviates the need for me to have a bank account and have a company and all the different necessities to work there. So we then become just a brand level and a platform. So they use our software to run the business. They obviously benefit from all the leads that come in through our website, all of the communication tools and existing customers that we have. That makes more sense because I was thinking like, dude, it'd be pretty complicated if you have all these people. So even though you said like 50 people, you might only have like a couple of people actually on your staff, but you're franchising this out to other people. So you don't have to worry about it. I mean, obviously it'd be less headache for you too. Because again, I was trying to get my head around like how you're able to run this ship with all these different people all across the world. Yeah. So I think that makes a little bit more sense understanding your business model there. Well, is there anything else as far as before we get off the call that you want to share with us? And appreciate your time so far as far as what you shared with your story, but any last tips? or anything that you can think of that's significantly helped you with your business that you wish you knew when you got started? Yeah, well, I don't know. I feel like I'm still learning every day. But you know, when it comes down to it, I think it's really important to believe in something. And if you can believe in it, you can put energy towards it and you can see it either happen or not happen. But either way, you're going to learn something and adapt and move forward. I think that for me, I've been lucky enough to kind of have a lot of things coming at me and choices to make. And I definitely learned through trial and error through most of it. I haven't had a lot of advisors. There's not a lot of other people that went through my path. When I was down in the jungles of Costa Rica, as you say, all my friends were going to law school or medical school. And, you know, I'm the crazy guy down south in the deep south, but I wouldn't change it because it allowed me to have a more exciting and interesting life. Yeah, no, it definitely sounds like it. And then um, as far as your personal life now, you said you're married? Yeah, married and have a young son who is awesome. And that's another 
great thing that even as busy as you are or as entrepreneurs can become, I think uh, family is a great source of renewal and energy. So really never neglect your family and the people that you can be closest with. Hey there, one quick message. Hope you're enjoying all of our episodes. If you are, then consider subscribing to our weekly podcasts. Just search for Millionaire Interviews in your podcast player. And be sure to look for the Chuck Norris album artwork. Thanks again for tuning in. So, I mean, what's your lifestyle like today after growing this business from Costa Rica in just a little over, I guess, I don't know, 12 years or so? Well, I try to have a reasonable work-life balance. So, you know, I work from home some days. I work in a shared office, others. I try to get to the gym when I can. And again, try to just be in a routine. And I think that's one thing that I've learned over the years is as an entrepreneur, sometimes you go into it where I want to just earn money and I want to be free. I want to avoid the nine to five. The reality is, is I think that's a step in your evolution is like, that's a good thing to desire, but that's not, in my opinion, going to sustain you throughout the rest of your life. So what I've learned is it's really important to be disciplined with yourself and not take the, hey, I'm free, I can go do that. It's better to be, yeah, again, somewhat disciplined. And again, I crave a routine. I really enjoy being able to check off things on my to-do list and then get back at it the next day and mix in a little bit of spontaneity from time to time, because I think that's also very important and a source of renewal. Yeah. Thanks again for coming on the show. I think that's it. Unless there's any last words of wisdom that you have there. I think it's very important, like you said, having that source of renewal. Again, that's why I even mentioned I have to travel from time to time just to get out. It refreshes your mind. That's when I actually come up with different ideas or concepts. That's important that you want a routine, but also every once in a while, just like take a break because if you don't, you're going to burn yourself out. I think we found that out with a lot of people. And then I guess if anyone's looking for a trip, they can look at anywhere.com, right? To book through one of your sites. And then we also drop one more episode is episode nine that we did with Scott's Cheap Flights. Are you familiar with them? You know, I'm not. Yeah, it's the all-in-one because you put together basically the package as far as like once they get there. But if anyone's looking for cheap international flights, I interviewed the guy there. That's kind of how I usually get my cheap international flights as I use that website as well. Cool. Yeah. I mean, again, travel is a pretty massive vertical. It's very fractured. I mean, even if you have a lot of name brand companies out there, but it's still just a massive industry. People are, are traveling and they're making all sorts of choices with who they're going to do business and get arrangements with. And, you know, for us, we just really want to be, you know, anywhere.com is the place to go for authentic, personalized advice.